welcome back to the show, episode two. And this week we have, again, my good friend, Mike Pyman, trustee of a charity, boxing promotion host, ultramarathon runner soon to be, if you already wasn't. (laughs) A man of many talents and man that has a lot of stories so i'm really excited to get this episode underway welcome back mike thank you for having me adam how are you feeling about uh talking today uh yeah all right i've um had to speak a lot for the charity anyway so a a fair whack of this is going to be sort of a repeat of what i normally talk about um yeah a bit later down the line uh where my baby's just been born uh so there's going to be some things in there that people won't know about Exciting times. So, um, yeah, excited to get this podcast started again and uh, get episode two underway. So um, this podcast based in Salisbury, but you're not actually from Salisbury originally, are you? And this is kind of where your story sort of originates, especially with the trustee of the charity. Do you want to talk more about that? Yeah. So I grew up in a place called Newhall, which is just outside, I say just outside London. It's, I say that to people that don't have a clue where I'm actually from. Um, it basically is in Surrey but when you say Surrey to people they think it's like leafy the most amazing place on earth like where all the rich people are and to some degree that is true but in in another like the side that I'm from is is Adelston um which uh, quite ironically appeared on the show Sherlock for being basically a dumping ground. Oh, good. Um, which is uh, always good Does to, it just to, say? to get that from the BBC. But um, yeah, so I'm, I'm from there. Um, and I, yeah, so I was there for 16 years of my life. Then I moved to Bristol for five years. Then I moved to Salisbury. So you moved after 16 years... That was sort of because of uh, an event that sort of happened. Yeah. Do you want to go into more detail about that? And that should hopefully link into your being a trustee of a charity, hopefully. Yeah. So if I kind of give the backstory of why I'm a trustee of the Icon charity. Um, so when I was at school, one of my friends died whilst I was with him. Uh, so a, a, a guy called Matthew Hackney. Uh, shout out to his parents Richard Hackney and Penny Hackney um, so they actually created a, a different foundation in his name so he was out celebrating his birthday so both me and him and a couple of other people went to the cinema um, and then he started choking quite uncontrollably um, and then uh, he we called his dad to come and get him um, he lost consciousness in the car, uh, and then the following morning we found out he died of something called anaphylactic shock. Um, and so he was twelve. So that was and um, to make it even worse for Richard and Benny, bless him, um, he died basically two hours before his thirteenth birthday. Oh my god! Um, Talk about time. Yeah, man. So it was it was pretty awful. Um, and at that point, I was in a pretty nasty place. And Icon was the sort of pastoral care unit that was on on site. Okay. Um, And my school recommended going there. So I went there for that. Um, And then uh, my parents separated about six months after. So quite a lot going on at such a young age. That must be difficult to deal with that. Yeah. So I, that was, uh, took me up to the sort of age of 13. And then, uh, it's it, it, like with any teenage lad, life's not 
great when you're a 13, 14 year old. You've got this, so much testosterone starting to come yeah. through your body and you're like, oh, it could cause trouble here. Big time. And it, it, to be fair, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't a troublemaker in the sense that like I was starting fights or anything like that. I just, I just never turned up. So one of the things that sort of with Matt dying, it was kind of like, I don't want to waste time doing stuff I didn't want to do. It puts it into perspective about understanding why. You're yeah. like, oh, I've just lost my sort of best mate. Why do I need school if that's what's going to happen to yeah, potentially man. me yeah, at that yeah. such a young age? It, so what's the point? So it's literally like, I, I used to just not turn up to class because I wanted to play football with my mates instead. Um, and whereas my friends would kind of get sort of collared by the teacher for, for not like coming to lesson mm. and would then be like, oh, no, I need to, need to go to lesson. I'd be like, well, I don't really care. They can kick, they can <laughs> yeah. kick me out if they want to. <laughs> Not really my problem. Yeah. That's sort of attitude. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and they put me on like an attendance report. So I had, basically every time I went to a lesson, I had to get sort of signed off to say that I'd actually attended the lesson. Okay, interesting um, tactic. Yeah, and, and my, my head a year had to review it every day, at the end of every day. And if there wasn't a signature on next to one of them, I'd get a detention. But they cotton on quite quick that that's quite irrelevant because I wouldn't turn up to the detention. <laughs> Can't be in detention if you're not there yeah, in exactly, the first place. Exactly. So, so um, yeah, uh, basically they then went back to Icon and said, look, is there anything we can do? Because at the moment we're kind of at the point where we're going to we're going to have to exclude him. Or They're at loose ends. To, yeah, like, yeah. What, what more can we do within yeah, exactly. our remit? Yeah, and, and the thing is, is like schools have got thick targets they've got to hit. And if you're not turning up... It's going to bring not, that down quite yeah, drastically. exactly. And the thing is, is like I, I, I always put it down to this. I was very lucky because Icon did fight my corner, but I'm also quite naturally bright. Yeah. Um, so they didn't want me to go yeah. because even if I had blagged it, yeah. I probably still would have got sort of like half decent grade so subtle, subtle I, would have, I would have kind of been mid-level do you yeah. know what i mean so they would have had something on the board yeah yeah uh, so i think it was kind of a mixture of both as to the reason why they didn't keep me out um uh and, and i didn't really ever i was a bit disruptive in class but i wasn't ever like anything bad really yeah. um anyway and back back to the point so it was like that for sort of two years um got into a, a, a few sort of altercations that, that weren't great. Um, and then year 11 came round and on top of the pressure of sort of, yeah, I can't remember what they're called, GCSEs, yeah. um, we found out that uh, my mum was actually diagnosed uh, with a tumour in a, in, a, um, in a gut. Wow. Yeah, and you're, uh, you're bearing in mind like you've already lost a best mate, you're struggling to get to school prior to dealing with all this, and then at 16 you're like, your mum's just been diagnosed with this. How yeah. does that compute in your head? What's going around in your head when you first hear this news? So it, it will kind of take a little little sidestep on it because I, I want to sort of go back to originally what you were talking about in the previous one, which by the way, what a response you've had from that can i just say like the response we've had has been 
incredible and i cannot thank people enough for the support and love that they have given this show it has really been overwhelming and i can't thank people enough and i hope that we're going to get the same response with this second episode which i'm sure we will because i mean it's already kicked off in style so <laughs> yeah please carry on mike um, so yeah the, the the way in which we found out that she had this tumor was uh i came home from school and my mum had always been it'd be unfair of me to say that she wasn't always well but like there was always something do you know what i mean and like yeah. genuinely something not like she was a hypochondriac like there yeah, was yeah. always something not quite right um and previously like to this about two weeks before she'd had to go into hospital to have her gallbladder removed um and we kind of thought that was that like she had a gallbladder removed and, and so be it problem sort of solved yeah, yeah yeah problem solved like she was going to be aching sore for however long but like that was just because she went on in for surgery yeah you know what it's I mean? understandable yeah um and i came home from school and she she looked re- really peaky she was lying on the sofa and I said to her, well, go, go up to bed, mum. I'll sort out down here. Um, you go up. So she went upstairs. Um, and just nat- naturally, my brother came home and we started playing FIFA. How she doing? Uh, yeah, year year exactly. Um, <laughs> and we were just laughing and joking about. And uh, and I remember this part of the story quite vividly. Uh, I lost, and I'm not a very good loser. No, you're I, a sore I, loser. I, 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 I take it quite badly. Um, and uh, I kicked the sofa, <laughs> and Tom start my Tom, my brother started sort of jeering me on a little bit as brothers do. And um, being the little dweeb of the family, I went out to <laughs> kind of go to my mum to try and give him a bollocking on because. I wasn't able to because he was a lot bigger and stronger than me. Mum, come out with me, mum. I went upstairs and you know, like we spoke about everything happening for a reason. Yeah. I went upstairs, um, I called out to her, but I think my exact words were, mum, Tom was being a twat. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I didn't get a response. And I was like, oh, okay, she might be asleep. Yeah, yeah. Maybe uh, leave her be or I don't know. Yeah. yeah. And then I poked my head around the door and she was just staring at the ceiling. Okay. Interesting. Um, so I walked in and I was like, mum, are you right? And she didn't respond. So I got a bit closer and I was like, mum, what's the matter? And bearing in mind, so my mum used to be a cardiac nurse. Yeah. Um, she did 15 years as a nurse, I think. Wow. Um, so she wasn't the type to sort of go to hospital willy-nilly like in that instance no um and i looked at her and she's white as a sheet staring up at the ceiling and all she said was help what runs through your mind at this point (sighs) call an ambulance yeah that, that that was literally it's probably similar to you mate when when you got that call what's the first thing you do yeah like <laughs> again like i say my mum the only time my mum had ever called an ambulance ever was when <laughs> my dad slid across the uh <laughs> the garden and whacked his head on a bird bar <laughs> and like knocked himself out but where, where he'd done it she didn't know like if he damaged his neck or whatever yeah, yeah. so I had to call an ambulance yeah. to come and get him a set what a story, by it the was way. Fine. <laughs> um, and that was the only time she'd ever called an ambulance before that. So um, when she says so help, when you're she like, says, help, oh dear, I was like, something. Okay. And and before this point, mate, I, I was a big 
big panicker. Like, as in, if someone turned around to me and said, like, something was going to happen, I'd be, like, awful about it. Like, I'd be mm. shaking. I wouldn't yeah. know what to do. And like we were saying about that sort of adrenaline taking over, it didn't even, like, cross my mind. All, all I saw was that my mum was in pain. She needed help. So, so just cool just calm me. Just yeah, yeah. So I just called it. And called call down to my brother and said, mum's not well. Ambulance is coming. Yeah. Can you go outside and wait for the ambulance? Yeah. So he did. He went outside and waited for it. Um, and we, I just stayed with my mum and held her hand. Uh, paramedics came. Basically, they found f- from her sort of wincing because she wasn't able to communicate yeah. that there was pain in her stomach. Yeah. Uh, naturally, again, like we say about paramedics, um, they go to the most common solution, which yeah. nine times out of ten is the right call. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they sort of classed it as appendicitis, thinking okay. it was appendicitis. But uh, it makes it, logical sense at this yeah, point. But absolutely. It was in the right area. Um, when they pressed on it, she like screamed. Yeah. So made perfect sense. They got to make such a quick decision in that yeah. time frame, haven't they? And it's like, and, and ultimately, like they they only suspect it yeah. because it's, it's not their job going to a, do anything they're going off a whim at this point really yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. they just got to make a quick call what what you know yeah, how how emergency is this at this point the the call is does this person need to go to a like go to see a doctor immediately yeah life or death yeah, basically exactly. yeah exactly and and ultimately appendicitis still falls under the category of you need emergency surgery yeah, yeah. so regardless they'd made the right decision yeah yeah took her off um and the, the weird thing was, as, as she went off, my nan went into the back with her and me and my brother were just kind of stood on the curb and we were like, because my dad didn't live with us at the time. So we were just kind of stood on the curb like, what, what the fuck do we do now? Now what? Yeah, no, no, <laughs> what, what do we do now? Um, but my brother had actually been on the phone to my dad and my dad uh, came uh, down because he was working in London. He came over and sat with me and my brother. Oh, that was nice. Yeah, well, like we'll talk about it later. But my mine and my dad's relationships always been quite strained. Yeah. Um, but it's got better over time. We'll talk about that yeah, later, yeah, later down the line. Topic. Um. Anyway, uh, so went off to hospital. Um, we had a call from the consultant to say that she was going to have to go into for emergency surgery. They were going to have to. They'd ruled out appendicitis because there was no infection in her blood. Yeah. Uh. So they said, right, we're going to have to do exploratory surgery because at the moment all the vitals are dropping rapidly. Whoa. Um, and they they said to us, like, there's a high percentage chance that she won't come out of this surgery. God. Um, so this is where that whole thing that you were talking about in terms of how the hell do you rationalise that thought in your head? Yeah, what's sort of running through your head at this point? Yeah. It's like, how do I, how do I compute this? Yeah, um, and then she came out of that surgery the 10 hour surgery it took to, to sort of root around long time yeah man not like, only for I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be that doctor hanging over the top like for 10 hours no imagine your neck straight yeah, massive that. respect to them I tell you. <laughs> um, and anyway they found out that a tumour had ruptured her bowel um, that's and that explains the, the pain yeah uh, a yeah, tumour had ruptured her bowel but the problem obviously with cancer is once those cells disperse, that's how the disease spreads. It goes like wildfire. Yeah, man. And uh, unfortunately for her, she had the like second most aggressive form of cancer. Yeah. Um. So it spread very, very quickly. Um. Turned out that in the place, generally speaking, the sort of like from what I understand, I'm certainly not an oncologist, but like 
either goes to the brain, the stomach, the liver, there or the pancreas, and they're the kind of the ones that it'll or the lungs, and it'll spread directly to there. Yeah, because that's where your cells reproduce the most. Yeah. Um. So it ended up in a liver, uh, and as a naive sixteen-year-old, I was like, "Oh, th- that's all right then, isn't it?" Because because your liver just your liver is the only thing in the body that can regenerate yeah itself. yeah so you like just take it out and it'll take it out and it'll rebuild again. itself yeah yeah, yeah yeah job done um and they were like no um they pulled us into a room told us that it was liver cancer or his secondary liver um and i looked around the room and everyone was basically starting to cry and, and you're like and i'm like why, why? yeah this is just like fine. okay it's shit like she's got cancer but it's in the best place it can be. Like, I've got, like, stupidly in my head. Um, and it took the consultant to literally say, no, like, this is terminal. And it's, we spoke about this last week. The, there's words that you, it gets you and you're like, oh, okay. And that's one of them. And and I remember, like, in hindsight now, talking to Lou's mum, like, you have to use certain words to... T- tell a family member so like you're not in the in the medical industry you're not allowed to say things like passed away because yeah. that can be inferred in an incorrect way it's got to be direct and it's yeah. got to be to the literal point so you so like even if you say that they've passed away or you say that they haven't made it you have to <laughs> lose mum says it's almost like rubbing salt in the winds you have to say I'm so sorry, but they've they've died. Yeah. You have to use that word because that word is finite. Yeah, there's, there's no the, question about it. There's no No, yeah, exactly. You if you can't it, double look on it. If if someone said past, you you could argue that you mean, oh what, she's been passed to another department? Yeah. Or what? Yeah. Do, do you know what Whereas I mean? This is finite this is finite and that's that. If someone says they're dead, there's no way you can misconstrue that for anything no, else. No, same with terminal. Like that is that absolutely. So, of. so effectively, it's a ter- so the the term is a terminal diagnosis. Yeah. Um. And we were like, right, okay, what now? Then yeah. It's um, always that thing of because you get told this like tragic news and then it's like, well, okay, now what? Yeah. Now what? Like, is is there a solution or not? Like. Anymore. So going back, so we get get this news and going back to the original point of me and being at school and, and all that, most people would think that I'd then go into another spiral of just not attending school at all. And just like almost destruction. Yeah. Um but Icon were amazing. Uh so the CEO especially, who is someone that eventually, providing you're okay with it, I'd want to get on something like this. Absolutely. Because he is probably the most amazing person i've ever come across in my life and we'll go into that in a sec but um he personally got me back into icon and into school to make sure that i was studying for my exams uh, and coincidentally he lived uh, at the house at the bottom of my garden so what he did was when he found out that mum was terminal he ripped the fence panel right out yeah opened it gave me and my brother a key to his back door and said you're welcome in this house whenever you want oh what a man yeah and um and on top of that he organized so him and his wife because i I don't give claire enough credit for for what she does um basically they organized for me and my family to have three meals a day cooked for us delivered through that fence panel oh wow um 
so because what incredible people yeah, by the way man. like that is just genuine lovely human beings that are just doing it for the greater cause yeah and like it was it was just every aspect was covered so the like health and well-being side i.e being fed he came around and helped clean the house. They organised for people to come and help clean the house so that I could study, my brother could go back to uni, my nan was caring for my mum at the time. Like, this is like a rare... You don't find these sort of people, yeah, like, massive like, respect. Nothing but massive respect and, for that. And so, like, I want to give him a shout-out because he, he was... Uh, he deserves it. <laughs> yeah, man. So he, he was recognised recently um, and received an MBE, which... I was asked to write part of his commendation for for getting his MBA. Oh wow! And it's gone full circle then. Ma- but mate, it was like what a what an honour that someone who's done that sort of thing for my family. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong, I'll never be able to repay that. But no. like, I was able to do something that would re- recognise him for the rest yeah. of his life. So you almost feel like you can give something back, absolutely, in yeah. some degree, because yeah, yeah. Like I say you like that's such a rare find to find that in a human being to do that at such a terrible time for you. Yeah, like it's massive. I mean, at the time, you're like, oh, it's a really sort of kind thing for you to do, and you know. But it's not until you look back and you go, he, he didn't have to do that, and no. that is literally life changing. So then you could go and get your grades and sit your exams. Yeah, like, and, that, and and that this is the thing is like I was 16 at the time. Um, and trying to compute the fact that you're sitting exams that will set you up for the rest of your life and your mum's not going to be there to see the rest of your life. You almost weigh up. It's like, is this really worth it? Yeah. In some sense. Yeah. Um, and it all came back down to the mentorship oh, the mentorship of Chris. Um, he was just amazing. He just made me realise that although the situation I was in was awful, it wasn't the end of my life and no. i needed to start being selfish and start putting putting that first yeah because at the end of the day like we said last week with my situation your mum would have wanted you to carry on and go and live your life and how she raised you and what did you go and do amazing things which yeah it's like say so you have to be selfish in that aspect and but then again it's selfless because like i said your mum would want you to go and do amazing things absolutely um and so yeah, we we got all that support uh, from from Chris, his family, and the sort of cohort that he'd brought together. Um, and he also was taking me and my brother out pretty much every weekend, so that we had a distraction from everything that was going on, which again was a massive thing. And it it it's just an incredible thing that someone could do for another human being and i i feel guilty now like in your situation you didn't have someone like that yeah like in my situation if i had someone like that that would be everything yeah it would like change your life which it literally has done yeah man um it's also trying to find the words to say thank you yeah in that regard because it's like no matter what you say you don't feel like you're doing them justice and you don't feel like you're going You've literally saved my life. You've literally changed my life. Like, thank you. So there's a couple of there's a couple of things later on in this sort of whole episode where I try and sort of repay him in certain ways uh, that we'll go through a bit later. But yeah, anyway, back back to where we were. So she got this diagnosis. Uh, she decided to go through two months worth of chemotherapy. So originally she just said, I'll go through chemo as long as I can just to try and stick about. Yeah. Which plays into that fact that we were saying about 
you immediately went, she's dead before that, she died. That's that to weigh up and manage expectations. And, yeah. You know, to soften the blow, if you can soften the blow. Yeah. And whereas what I did was I started to get this element of hope in that, okay, so she's going through chemo. So we've been told she's going to die, but loads of people that have cancer get told that they're going to die and they've got a terminal diagnosis and then magical things happen and then they get longer and oh, it's like, like oh you've got two months to live but you end up living like 12 yeah, years say or yeah, two yeah. years big, big, like a, big a time. long time so you're like okay this is pretty yeah. bad it's like it's gonna happen but maybe it's not gonna be as bad as i think I, I remember thinking to myself how many people lose their parent at 16 years old and i remember going probably not that many well if you think back in school yeah. How many in your school at that point that you knew of? I, I knew... So my school was massive and I knew of one other person that had lost their mum. Yeah, I've, I think, to be fair, same in, in my regard. Yeah. And I said to myself, I bet the number's a lot greater at 18. So I said... I, I always had this obsession in my head that I wanted to be the norm. I wanted to try and be as grey as possible. <laughs> <laughs> um, and... I remember thinking to myself, if she if she was able just to hold on till I was eighteen, I'm not. I, I'm an adult then. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? You, so, can, you can deal with this. And that comes into that selfish nature of the fact that, like, I was almost then playing with the fact that, oh, she can yeah, be in pain. She can be in pain for two years yeah, just fine, to see me it. through. <laughs> um, so yeah. Anyway, uh, two months of chemo, and then this this was the most heartbreaking thing. Now, as a parent, to think about was she had to sit my, me and my brother down and say, "Enough's enough." So she she had to sit sit us down and say, "I'm not doing it anymore." How can you sort of register that to tell your kids that you know I'm I'm stopping chemo? How how do you do how do you do that? So the chemo is I, I, I have this discussion with Ruth who we run with quite a lot because she's in the medical industry I, I think chemo is one of those things that we'll look back on in a few years time and go why and why, go, why, why were yeah. we doing that because it, it effectively just destroys everything in the body yeah. like that's the purpose of it is yeah, it yeah. destroys everything in the body so it destroys the cancer as well yeah um, but with that you see the person, don't get me wrong, the, the person going through it's definitely got the worst end of it. <laughs> yeah. But you see some some pretty awful things, like yeah. <laughs> trying to save a bit of my mum's dignity. But like, there was nothing that me and my brother didn't see, like and that's ble- a lot bleeding from everywhere, like excrement from everywhere. Like you that's lose a lot complete to, control. Yeah, that's a lot to take on board. It again, you're still very young at this point as well. Yeah, and you don't want to see a loved one suffer the way that your mum would have suffered. And, and this this comes back into the point of her telling us about the fact that she was stopping chemo. Mm. If she said to us that she was stopping chemo, but she was out <laughs> having a party, <laughs> like do you know what I mean? Yeah, it would be so much harder to take if you could see that like she had some form of quality of life. Yeah. You like, have to weigh up that quality of life again. Big time. And going, okay, if she stops chemo, the quality of life might be better. Okay, the longevity might not be there. However, if she stayed on chemo, again, the thing is with chemo, is there's no guarantee of how long that person's going to stick it out for. So it's, do you stay on chemo and potentially suffer for a long time? And is there going to be quality of life there? Potentially not. And okay, you stop chemo, but your quality of life is there. You have to weigh it up, and it's a it's a big weigh up that you have to do. But again, it's something that's got to be taken into account. Yeah, and like 
ultimately that decision was hers and hers alone to to make because it would be completely selfish for me and Tom to turn around and almost guilt her into staying longer than she should. Um, so she made that decision. Obviously, me and Tom were gutted because it was then it was all it was almost like reliving that whole doctor's moment again of being told that she was going to die. It was that sit down. You're going to get told some horrendous news. Yeah, yeah, and it, but it became more real because then it was a case of. This okay, is okay. Ha- this could happen potentially a lot sooner than you were expecting with the eighteen. Ex- exactly. Bit. Yeah. So, so she said that she was stopping. Uh, obviously, we were pretty devastated. Understandably. Um, but but it's that whole thing of so like <laughs> emotionally. I I remember thinking when she was telling me, I don't want to cry in front of her. You got to be strong, don't you? But because because my thing was like. That's awful enough that you're going to have to tell your kids that anyway. Yeah. Let alone them watching their response be devastated like, and crying. Yeah. But like, what a so, selfless man. But, but it's so ridiculous. Like in my head, mate, because like I was like, all while she's telling me this, I'm, I'm I, I can tell you the thought process. So I remember thinking to myself, "Don't cry," because she's like had to muster the strength to tell you this anyway. Yeah. And then the other part of me was like. Well, actually, hold on a minute. Maybe she does want you to cry because <laughs> if you're just there, like, oh, okay, cool. No worries. See you later, mate. Like, <laughs> um, so, yeah, I like, I settled for basically just going and giving her a hug and just being like, I being, love you so much. Being there for your mum. Yeah, and yeah. At the end of the day, because you're like, you are my priority. Like, no, no matter how this feels to me, I love you and I care for you and I'm going to be there for you in this moment in time because yeah. it's horrendous for you because at the end of the day like she's going to be losing her life in the near future yeah um, so she told us that uh, in the middle when she waited she waited until I'd finished my last exam so I, I think that was sort of mid-July yeah. that she told us yeah um, and when we saw the consultant, because you get put on palliative care, yeah. so she decided that she didn't want to die at home and that she wanted to die in a hospice because she said, depending on what happened with me and Tom, she wouldn't want us to be in the house and to think of her dying in a certain room or yeah. whatever. So she decided that she was going to go, go into a hospice. So, And, and by the way, Woking Hospice is unbelievable. Like... I don't know if this ever would stretch out that way, but if you do have a loved one over in that direction and you are in that palliative care state, I cannot recommend working hospice enough. It's incredible. Um, and she decided she was going in there uh, and she went in and she died on the 15th of August, 2013. Um I then received my GCSE results on the 22nd of August, 2013. Jesus. So she just missed out on, on it. Um, and the like, the bit I always sort of make is a big deal uh, when, I, when I talk about Icon is I got five A's and five B's in my GCSEs. What an achievement that is, by yeah. the way, to go through everything you've been through as a child, and as a teenager, to then go and smash your GCSEs. Massive kudos to you, mate. Thank you, mate. And uh, yeah, uh, like I attribute a lot of that to to Icon. Um, and yeah, so and anyway, so that happened. 
then the funeral was on the 31st of August or 30th of August. Is it 31 days? It was the last day of August, yeah, wherever yeah. it was. Um, and it was the most beautiful sunshine day. Um, and <laughs> there's a there's a running joke that basically it was, the, it was such a lovely day. Uh, did the eulogy yeah. was, was a quivering wreck through the eulogy like I said to you my <laughs> knees went when I was trying to carry the coffin managed to get the coffin down and then was just like oh my god fucking hell I need to sit down um, <laughs> it's, it's a big it's a big responsibility it's a big burden again well, it's, 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 it's like you said it's that whole thing of we can't drop them yeah <laughs> how embarrassing is this going to be um, so yeah. again like I'm going to say it back to you like what an honour yeah, it man. is for you to do that for your mum and massive respect to you mate for doing that because i know the actual pain and responsibility it takes to to do that so yeah, yeah. massive respect to you my friend thank you mate uh, I'm, I'm glad that i have my brother with me when i was doing it because he, he's just brilliant i love, love my brother's pieces um so yeah we we, we got to they're getting the sort of formalities out of the way in terms of eulogies talking whatever uh, and we did, went to the wake and the wake was honestly like we spoke about it was one of the best days of my life really? like, it was incredible man like wow. they they it was such a genuine like um celebration of life it's rather exactly than what being, you want yeah and we talk about all the time saying you know funerals like they're, they're really sad and you have to celebrate the people's lives but when you actually go and celebrate how amazing this amazing human being was it's there's no better feeling in the yeah. weirdest way and uh th- yeah there's a running joke in our family because like we invited it basically it was an open invitation anyone who wanted to come could come and the crematorium couldn't hold the amount of people that were there. Like, they had to open the double doors out wow. and there was, like, queues of people out the back. And it sounds like something from a film, but genuinely, like, you couldn't fit everyone in the room. It was so packed out. Because your mum was that, that much popular, of a love person. Yeah, wow. Um, and anyway, so we got back to the, the wake and one of the people that was there was one of my bro- brother's next door neighbour growing up. We were really close to. He loved football. Yeah. Re- really, like genuinely, like when I when I say this story, you might think different, but like <laughs> he is genuinely the loveliest guy. However, and, and, <laughs> and would do anything, but like he he came and, and like. When I say he's the loveliest guy, I mean he would do anything for anyone. He's the greatest so, friend to have around. Yeah, and uh, so like, when I say this, he was doing it out of a very good place. Yeah, but, yeah. But basically, what happened was uh, he he was going around giving business cards out at my mum's wake. Okay, so, interesting. So basically, he was he was an engineer, but he'd found out that like there'd been some issue with like the road that we lived on like um like plumbing wise or whatever um and people were like just general chit-chatting about it so he was just eavesdropping and then it's like oh there's my card there's my card and then me and my brother were watching Rob like handing out these business cards I bet you were just like we were close enough that we went up to him and be like what the fuck are you doing like literally what are you doing and he was like Oh shit! I didn't even think about it. Like <laughs> it's natural the, response. Yeah, yeah. it's just like oh, just like so I wanted to help him, so I, I offered them my, my card. You're like we, me and my brother, just started pissing ourselves laughing. We we're just like, what a what a prime opportunity. Yeah, like, but you a, understand that's your friend, and like yeah, it was coming yeah. from a good place, and, and it wasn't like, anything bad. It wasn't like he was like. 
oh, what a business opportunity. <laughs> just well, like his hands are just coming together yeah, like money, money, money. Like, <laughs> she's, she's just been put in the ground, but he's already raring for it, ready for the dollar bills. Um, yeah, no. Uh, but again, it's, it's little things like that that like you can't take things too seriously. Like no. some people might have seen that and, and like kicked off and like, flipped that like, like, that's outrageous. Who do you think you are? Like this is ridiculous. Like this is a like funeral. What what a ridiculous thing to be yeah. doing at someone's wedding. It's, it's, yeah, it's it's, it's <laughs> absolutely <laughs> crazy to even compensate that is go around doing that. But you understand who that person but, is. But it gave us a story. Yeah. It gave us something and funny to talk about. It's almost about. something you're thankful he'd done. Yeah, big time. Because it's given you that such a good memory to talk about and you can laugh about it. Oh, like And humour's the best way to deal with traumatic situations and bad things that happen. So when you have a such an amazing story like that and you can laugh about it quite heavily, it works in the weirdest possible way. But you think like, on the, like, that was one of the hardest or... <laughs> at the time was the hardest day of my life to have something as ludicrous as that that just made me and my brother laugh for 20 minutes that is a massive difference yeah that makes a huge difference yeah it's because it's such a a busy and heavy day for you emotionally to have that break of laughter would have meant so much to you in that moment in time because it just for that split second or for that five ten minutes that you were laughing it took your mind off of where you are and what you're doing while you're here in exactly. the severity of the situation. Yeah, man. So we we then got to the point where, like, it was now a case of, right, okay, where am I going to live? Because the options were either go and live with my dad. So my parents had separated. My Well, I say separated, divorced. My dad was now living in... Well, <laughs> it's a complicated one. My dad officially lived in Bristol but worked in London five days a week. So I had the option to go and live with my dad and basically my stepfamily in Bristol or go and live with my nan who was 75 at the time. Yeah. Um, and bearing in mind, a 75-year-old person that's just lost their daughter... It could be a lot emotionally could, to could do with. It could be a lot with. to take on a, yeah. an emotionally unstable 16-year-old as well. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, I, I like, it, with the greatest respect to my, to my dad and my stepfamily, like... I it had that not have crossed my mind, i.e. that it was affecting her. I probably would have gone and lived with her. Yeah, yeah. It, it was a case of like it's the closest person to my mum. Yeah. Um, but I decided that the the best thing for everyone, I think, would be to go and live with my step family in in, in Bristol. And previous to this, like I I had a really good relationship with my stepmom. Uh, like we so my stepmom Sue uh, she was around basically from when I was sort of 12, 13 anyway so I had a few years she was amazing whilst my mum was ill uh, like genuinely incredible so it made that transition a little bit easier I'd yeah say. yeah big time big time because um, it can be quite a awkward and difficult thing to deal with and especially at that moment in time that you've just lost your mum and now you've got to go live with your dad who's with someone else. Yeah. Could uh, be a potentially a lot, but... Absolutely, but because we'd had those few years before mum was really ill, to sort of... It was the norm that yeah. my dad and Sue were together. Yeah, yeah. So it took that sort of pain away a little bit Absolutely, yeah. And, and, and she was very much... She, she was very clear on the fact that she didn't want to take over my mum. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, but equally wanted to... To care for you and be Absolutely, there, yeah. yeah. And like, there's, there's good. I'm going to talk about like some of the strenuous moments with me and Sue, but like, one of the 
the big things that we always say is that like when shit really hits the fan that's the type of person that you want in your corner like yeah, she yeah, yeah. she's pretty ruthless <laughs> um so like when mum died yeah. she, she was the first person there first oh, person wow. there first person giving you a hug first person to check your own to okay. console you yeah, yeah, yeah. to be there and like when you say push comes a shove she's there you can rely on her yeah. that, that sometimes is all you need in a person yeah so like there's definitely been mine and sue's relationship has always been best when i'm not living with her yeah um and i don't feel feel like that's unfair to say um it's it's a case of i think i rubbed her up the wrong way yeah I, I, I'm very aware that I can be sort of an antagonist and I can sort of wind people up. Yeah, even yeah. even not when I'm necessarily aiming to, I can yeah. understand that I can be like that. It's sort of subconscious in some way. Yeah, it, it's, it's just like, I, I used to have quite a tendency to be sort of always pushing boundaries, always pushing people past where was comfortable, but yeah. like not always in a good way, like yeah, yeah. taking the piss probably a bit too far yeah. as well. So I can understand why that, that rubbed up the wrong way. Um. So yeah, it, it was a little bit, it was a bit of a Pandora's box really, because obviously I was then in a situation where me and her were butting heads a lot. My dad was away in Bristol. Yeah. Whilst also the fact that I lost my mum. It's a lot to take so, on. So it's, so it's a lot to juggle. But it's like it's you're not... almost looking for a fight in some capacity Absolutely. because you're like life has done me so dirty and so hard here. Yeah, and like it's, it's so unfair. It's like, so I just feel like I need to fight the world. And unfortunately, Sue would have been there full time in this situation. So unfortunately she was gonna get the brunt of it. Yeah man. So and like it, you say, you didn't even mean to. And 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 this is the thing is and, and this is where I fell into combat sport and boxing because I wasn't like I didn't acknowledge that I was angry because I was never an angry kid. Like yeah. I, I I had a I had a temper about me mainly when I lost at something. <laughs> but like I was I was never angry. Like I'd never start a fight with anyone. Yeah. I, I, I used to always to be fair, my dad's a massive pacifist, so he always used to say to me like violence is never the answer. Yeah. So I suppose you've got that real good balance of you know, you had that temper, but your dad being a pacifist sort of like leveled you out in some way. So, so do you know what? Yeah, like you're you're saying that now, and and that actually makes a lot of sense to me because I always used to bite back on my dad and basically say violence is the last resort. Yeah, yeah. Like, so I always very much idolised like the armed forces and stuff. Yeah, and. The, you are your primary role is to protect the country, right? And nine times out of ten, the best way to protect the country is to avoid violence. Yeah, is is to be peacekeeping and to do whatever you can to to not kick off. Yeah, but when everything hasn't worked, violence is a way of getting done what needs to be getting done. The results done. Yeah. Yeah. So I like. Again, this this is the thing is like, I'm taking what my dad said very literally, <laughs> but like I'm a very black and white literal person. So when he says violence is never the answer, I used to bite back and be like, "You're a fucking liar!" Like, yeah. do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. that's bullshit. Yeah, you, you quite had the temper, but it's like you you said you took it literal, where there's a point is like, no, like nothing's gonna ever be done. Like you cannot react regardless. That's the sort of way you probably took it. Yeah. So so it was it was kind of. <sighs> 
it was a difficult one because my sort of relationship to violence, like my uh, whether or not my dad could see something in me, which you saying that now, may, maybe he could, maybe he could see that fuse there. And I am so hot on that. Or like when I started boxing, when I started sort of doing the fighting and realised that, don't get me wrong, I'm not going to be any world champion, but like I, that I could handle myself and that I knew what to do in those situations. You know, when you like hear those stories about people that cl- get clobbered on a night out and they fall and whack their head on the curb and they die. Yeah. Whether or not my dad could see that happening to me trying to worst case scenario in yeah sense. so if you kind of like blanket ban violence altogether it sort of stops that from ever happening exactly so like i always get told by my wife and by my family that it would never be me to start the fight but if i was in it to finish to, to finish it but but potentially would put myself in an awful position where I'd then be liable on manslaughter or potentially even murder depending yeah, on why yeah. and, and like I'm not saying that as a, a like big man of like no. oh I can knock out this believe me I'm I'm not <laughs> in any regard like a great fighter probably not even good but like it doesn't take that it literally takes one punch that can ruin not only your own life but can end someone else's so like Boxing is a huge part of my journey because it taught me to channel all that aggression that I was feeling, that feeling of everything being unfair. Like, 16-year-olds generally, like, you, your parents tell you that you've got to come with them to shops. Oh, it's so unfair. Like, I don't <laughs> want to do that. To then rationalise it as, oh, yeah, by the way, your mum's died. You've got to move to Bristol. You've got to live with someone that you don't get on with currently. Uh, and you've got to study for your A-levels. It's a lot like, to take on. That That's not fair. <laughs> like, no, yeah. <laughs> um, that is definitely not fair. So... It gave you it gave you that sort of balance. The boxing gave you that sort of discipline and that self control and that self awareness, and you could really, with that sort of power and that temper, really control it to something more positive. Yeah, should we um, put it? Absolutely. And it, it started off like I started learning just something called Krav Maga, which is a Israeli self defense um, thing. They're and the videos of those guys that you look at them and go, "Wow, they're, well, they're badass." I, I, I watched it when I was seventeen, and I was like. I could be that good <laughs> and go there and get put on your ass like in the first two seconds. But like you, you learn very, very quickly in any kind of martial art, whether that be a something like cry or Krav Maga or whatever, that is only taught as a defense mechanism. And also if you go in with an ego and a cocky attitude, <laughs> boxing gyms are the worst for it, mate. If you go in and you're there, big I am you mm. can smack someone up you've got a bit about you yeah they'll chuck you in with someone that's well versed and knows what they're doing yeah like 25 years yeah in. yeah so like, <laughs> you're gonna be humbled boy <laughs> yeah exactly that, but, but that's exactly what happens mate you put them in with the person and 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 in boxing especially you learn how to control that aggression so it's not a case of like someone hits you and you just see red rag to a ball and you go and and that's like almost where I'm still at so that's why I would never class myself in, in any category of good because I still have that reflex of anger yeah yeah you go from zero to 100 really quick yeah rather well, than having that sort of split second decision to go hang on chill for a second let me think about this rationally absolutely and 
then react to it. Yeah, so like you'll see lads that have been fighting for sort of 10 plus years. When they get tagged, they just shrug it off and they carry on. And there's nothing more intimidating than if you throw what you think to be something that could knock someone's sparko and the bloke smiles at you. It's that thing of like, I've just taken your soul. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Ex- exactly. You, you think that's all you got? Yeah. You think that, that's a, like, the best you got? And, no chance, mate. And the creepiest thing, mate, is when they do it through a gum shield, because you have to have a gum shield, and all you see is just like this little like plastic thing arise, <laughs> and you just see them like dig in and walk at you. Um, but that's what happens. You, like, I like to think of it in, in every scenario that if you're too arrogant, too cocky, and you haven't got the minerals to back it up, you get humbled very, very quickly. And that's almost how it should be in yeah. some regard. Yeah, if you walk into a new job and you say, oh, I could do this, this and this, your shit, this, that and the other, all right then, prove it. Yeah, it's, it's like you should have confidence, don't get me wrong, because it's such a good characteristic to have. However, it's understanding your limits and where you can push them eventually, but you need to sort of study the art first and have that undeniable stack of proof that you are who you say you are first. Absolutely. Because otherwise you're just saying it with actually no backup and they're like, where's your proof? Yeah. And it's it's the whole thing as well. Like when like I want to back it up when I say about like people in boxing gyms, it's not a case of like anyone that walks through the door, they get chucked with the quality bloke. I'm talking about the guys that walk in cocky, arrogant, start smacking people about thinking they're something big I am. They are the ones that get put with someone who can handle themselves. Uh, there was a lad at a gym that I was at recently that uh, came in with that attitude where fighting someone who was going to be fighting, oh, sorry, sparring someone who was going to be fighting on my show. Um, and um, he got in thinking he was the big guy I am. The guy who was fighting on my show han- handled it like enough, but the guy was better than him. Uh, but this guy was really like, taking the piss so like we're inspiring you the general rule is you can dig in a little bit but like if like when you've got someone in a corner you take a step back yeah, because you you're hammering go. the shit out of them when you're in the corner you know that you're on the back foot so yes you take a couple of shots and then you take a step back and reset this guy just was hammering and <laughs> hammering and hammering to the point where the bell went yeah bell went and they pulled my lad out and <laughs> A certain person in Salisbury who's very, very experienced in fighting got in the ring and was like, oh, I'll do a few rounds with you. Yeah. Absolutely bad, this bloke. Really? Absolutely <laughs> smashed into pieces. But it was that humble pie that he needed because yeah. he came out. and It'll he probably make him a better person long term. Absolutely. And a better fighter, mate. Because, like, and it's the case of those people that are genuinely good at fighting are the ones that know how to humble someone but not take it too far. Yeah. It's that discipline and that ability to put it on them but when that bell goes stop, stop. yeah it's there's having that control nothing. there's no animosity it's that was the round it's having that self-control and that like you say that discipline so do you feel like boxing came into your life at such a good time yes uh, again the, you know, we're going to talk about it as we go along but like everything happens for a reason that was the moment that i was like okay like boxing is the way i'm going to deal with my mum's death um i suppose it's it's in a control environment in some sense yeah like okay it can be destructive in some sense and like it's a physical sport like you 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 know you're battering someone however at least you're in a controlled environment where that can be sort of stopped or taken back a level rather than you going out and doing something actually destructive to yourself in a negative aspect well this this is the thing is like my 
so my step family and my dad are, ma- are massive pacifists like they they can't stand the fact that i fight but they always say i can't stand it i don't like hearing about it but it's better than you doing it in the street it's better than yeah. you doing it somewhere that you shouldn't be doing it it's that a right or wrong way to deal with grief however there's a better way and at least you had the sort of measure to go okay i'm in an awful environment i'm in an awful space but i'm going to try and control it as best as i can and to put myself on the right path as best as i can yeah absolutely and, and that's exactly what happened um i i've had three fights um like since starting um and I've 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 loved it. Like there's you learn something from every, every time. Um I definitely want more. My wife actually strangely supports it because <laughs> she the thing is like we laugh and joke and like I think I said it in the last podcast like I do have that temper still and that temper is is, is really irritating. So like it's little things like banging the back of my head makes me lose it. And, and and it's a learning thing. The like, thing is, she probably knows that this is the best place possible for you to channel that aggression yeah. into something more positive and to actually deal with this temper and this sort of short fuse that you've got. Yeah. Because if you didn't, you'd still be at home with this short fuse not dealing with it. Yeah. And it is, it's, it's so circumstantial. So, like, she knows that, like, I would never, ever take that out on someone like normally in the wrong way yeah, yeah. but like it's in so like it it would take a lot and i mean a lot for me to hit someone in the street yeah it yeah. would take a lot they'd have to do something horrendous yeah, to get yeah, you exactly. to that point like but because it like i live by the mantra that i shouted at my dad which is violence is the last resort yeah yeah like if i and it, it's the whole thing like the police do like they'll use reasonable force first to try and defuse the situation and then hopefully yeah it doesn't escalate but ultimately you have a right to defend yourself so if you feel like you're genuinely in danger you do yeah, have yeah. a right to throw it yeah. and, and and like you don't want to be a stickler for all the rules but that is one that like i say if you fall in the wrong way that's the difference between manslaughter and not getting a sentence at all because you've defended yourself. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is where a lot of people go wrong. Like, and I'm talking about it so openly. Again, not for this whole hard man bravado thing, but there was an incident in Salisbury that happened a couple of years ago where a lad was punched and died. Yeah, tragic uh, situation. Yeah. Um, and I want to bring light to that because it's that whole thing of I don't know why that arose. It like I, I don't know the person personally that died but i know people that did know him i played football against him as a kid yeah loveliest kid you could meet um and you think if that lad that threw that punch was someone like me i.e that they had that short fuse they got that anger in them if they'd walked into that boxing gym instead like would it have turned out that way and like you don't want to go down that rabbit hole of what ifs, what ifs. Yeah, because so much can happen. Yeah, but I am a massive advocate for people getting into that sort of sport. Yeah, because like, like I said, it's like channeling that sort of aggression, temper, um, and putting it into something positive. Yeah. So coming back round, so I, so I started fighting when I was in Bristol. Uh, really enjoyed it. Really helped me like sort my head out. Um, uh, I was with, I say, help, help me sort my head out. I was with a girlfriend of mine that 
things didn't work out with and ended quite nastily. Um, and I was in a really dark place for probably two or three months. Um, and luckily my, uh, my friend John, he, it was his birthday and he said to me, oh, uh, my, my boss at work, she's, uh, just gone through a divorce. Um, and we're actually going on a night out for my birthday. Do you, do you want to come? Yeah. And I said, oh yeah, cool. like, I, was, I, was Absolutely. Com- I was coming anyway. Um, but he kind of, like as if the sell of it being his birthday wasn't enough, he had to sell this this girl to me as well. Um, <laughs> Win-win. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, I, I, knew, I knew this person because me and my ex-girlfriend then went into, so he used to work at Costa. So we went into Costa and used to just, chilling there so I, I knew who she was yeah thought she was fair but i didn't, didn't really think anything of it too much um because she's married like yeah, I didn't yeah. Even think twice about untouchable it. yeah exactly um anyway so went on this night out got on like a, like a house on fire um and uh so from this marriage she had at the time an 18 month old baby um i say that i think she might have actually been two so she wasn't quite a baby she was like yeah yeah um lovely little girl evie her name is um and so i was 19 at this point so i was there on one hand fighting people (laughs) like pretty much all evening to now there's this person on the scene that i like that has got a two-year-old kid yeah and I was kind of like, can those worlds collide? Mix, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, so sort of got chatting uh, properly with with Louise, and um, things sort of escalated sort of quicker and quicker. Um, and an- another sort of like shout out I want to make is to Evie's dad because when I started seeing Lou and Evie a lot more, Evie's dad said to me oh i want like i don't feel comfortable with a man i don't know spending that amount of time with my daughter and i said well i totally agree i think that's a really good point so i got in the car that i don't think he was quite expecting this but i got in the car that evening and drove over there and introduced myself um and like i said to you about the whole aggression thing so Dwight used to be a bouncer um and he is not the type of bloke to just roll over if someone does does something <laughs> stupid. So I didn't really know what I was walking into, but yeah. I was like, look, it's that whole thing of like respect breeds respect. So yeah, if yeah. I go there with sort of my hands held high and just say, this like, is a situation, is, yeah, and be as honest as I can. And honestly, he had real reservation because Lou at the time was 26 and I was 19. Yeah. And he was like, young idiot. Yeah. He's yeah. like a 19 year old kid. So I went down and basically pitch to him <laughs> here's, what, my, here's what, my powerpoint yeah, presentation this is why i'm a nice guy <laughs> here's my powerpoint on how my friend died my mum died uh i moved to bristol uh and managed to hold down two jobs whilst also doing my a-levels mature head on young shoulders yeah, exactly yeah um and he very quickly realized that it wasn't just a, an average 19 year old basically fucking over his ex-wife and getting was, lucky yeah 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 it was it was very much a case of like in it for the sort of right reasons um that takes a lot for someone to yeah, understand and, and that and do time. that so. and, and, and to be fair mind and relationships from from that point i believe 
has always been really good. But it, it's because you took that sort of situation and went, look, this is how I'm going to yeah. have to deal with it. It's uh, like having so, that like, so say, respect between you, you two. Yeah, so many people get their back up. Like, if so many people would be like, and I remember Lou saying to me when that happened, she was like, does he not trust me to not introduce her to any old idiot? And I said, but he doesn't know. Like, with, with the greatest of respect, like, he was the one that ended the marriage. You might be bitter. Like, not she isn't, believe me, but, like, from his point of view, she could be just the bitter ex-wife that's trying to get back at him any way she can. So... What he better wasn't, way to do that? Yeah, he, he wasn't happy about that, rightfully so. Understandably. Because, it, for, again, from his perspective, some 19-year-old that's hanging around his daughter, that, like, you would you would ask questions. Well, you put a blank canvas on it and Absolutely. say it how you said it. Yeah, yeah. You're like, well, what's this all about then? Yeah, so no qualms with that. Me and him have got a cracking relationship. So so easy going. Um, yeah, so we're in a really nice position where we... Basically, he's now in a relationship as well. He's got a son as well as Evie. And we kind of co-parent between the four of us. And it's it's really works well and it's really nice. And I bet that's amazing for the, the kids as well to be able to have that sort of love between the four of you to yeah. give them the sort of best life. It's, and... it's like we've we've hit the point now where Evie's about to turn 10. So the whole dreaded conversation about mobile phones is coming in. Um <laughs> And uh, like, her, so when her dad dropped her off the other day, he came in and was like, "She's been chewing my ear off on the way over about getting a phone." <laughs> and I, I, I looked at him and he went, "I was a no," and <laughs> uh, and he was like, "But I wanted to get your and this is what I mean." He was like, "I wanted to get your guys' input on it." Oh wow! And uh, we were like, "Well, she's allowed a phone at the moment because she she goes to school, yeah. Uh, like, and she walks to school on her own, so we want her to be able to have that with her, yeah." But like she's not allowed it any not, other not time. Not like social media or yeah, like you know, it's absolutely. It's so, con- in controlled way as such. Yeah, and it's typical like moody like girl that she's now going to turn into. <laughs> she was like, "Oh, so unfair," and then we we're like, oh, "I just can't be bothered." It's just, it's just that whole thing of like, okay, you can have a Nokia that's got snake on it, yeah. and she's like, "Oh, well, I don't want that." Well tough <laughs> like I don't know as a kid but playing Snake was like the best thing oh, Snake was quality it's mate the best game what a lot I remember literally like uh, think back to that was like the peak of technology yeah like basically a, like cardboard box that just had a little squiggly line that just yeah, went just round and round <laughs> you talk about that unfairness as well so everything we've just spoken about about how unfair life's been to you and the unfairness of today's generation is well, why am I not getting a phone? Yeah, yeah. You weigh that up, don't you? <laughs> um, so, yeah, we, we got to the point where basically me and Lou were at a bit of a crossroads and I, I won't go into too much detail about it, but we hit a point where we didn't know whether or not we could be together because basically I wanted to join the military. Yeah. Um, and all of Lou's family is ex-military. Um, and she saw how difficult that life was and she said, I can't do that. Yeah. So she basically came to the conclusion. She was like, "Look, I'm I'm not telling you what to do." However, <laughs> but like, I, I can't be in that. I can't have Evie have a stepfather that goes away six months every two years. But at least she had that initial conversation yeah. with you, because a lot of people would sort of suffer in silence and stay quiet, and then that relationship would so deteriorate. It's all okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and 
and and like the other thing I think about is like it's that whole concept of this is why she's such an exceptional mother because at that point she like I, there's no kidding that she loved me and I loved her but she was putting Evie above that rightfully so yeah but you'd be surprised how many people don't do that and and she was definitely putting her happiness second um anyway so we basically split up for a very sort of i say short period it's probably about three four months that we weren't officially anything um and it, and it was it was pretty rough and uh, to be honest that was probably the most sort of like volatile that we've been it was actually in the period that we weren't weren't together yeah um and then uh, a series of events happened that basically led to us so, well it was actually her saying ran to me because i said to her look i can't have you as a friend like that oh like it's either we're in it or we're not yeah it's 100 or nothing yeah um and she basically said she needed a couple of because i was i still had my stance that i was joining the army yeah um and she said i've i've got to think about it i can't like i can't just dive into that and i said take two or three days then and it's I said, a big decision yeah yeah man and i said take two or three days but after that like if it if i don't hear from you then i know it's a no anyway so she came back and she was like look i'm, I'm willing to, i'm not promising anything but i'm willing to try i said okay like I'll, I'll take that like that's that's something um and she said but the only way i'm gonna do that is if you move down here she said i'm not willing to move um i'm i'm only gonna go all in if you're here that's a it's a big jump to take but that's a fair compromise yeah man. and the thing is is like her biggest gripe when it came to the divorce was the fact that she lost everything and had to move to like so she lived in bristol she lost everything and had to move to salisbury so she kind of wanted me to commit to coming to salisbury to prove to her that okay because ultimately in her mind i was going to join the army and i was going to bugger off wherever around the world so at least she would be settled and she wouldn't have to mess about exactly, again in exactly regard spot so Anyway, moved down here. So at this point, I was posting up in up in Bristol. So I decided to just cut it all and go right. So I'm joining the army. Go straight in. Anyway, so I had to go to Icon when Mum died because my school said they didn't think it was a good idea for me to return to like school until I'd spoken to someone. Per- perfect decision definitely the right decision however i had to go through cams which is the child and adolescent mental health service so through the nhs yeah um so it went on my medical record um and then when uh i went through a pretty dark stage when i was sort of with and then not with my ex-girlfriend um i had to go for counseling again now the army's rules on mental health is that if you've had two uh two or more instances of mental health you are automatically and indefinitely barred from military service now my gripe was i was 16 on one of them yeah and 18 on the other very young and like you're a child to, yeah you like they say your like brain or body doesn't fully develop to the age of like 25 i think it is yeah. so you know you say you're a child and like there's a big mature stage in those sort of next coming years yeah and uh, like so i always wanted to be a royal marine and so i went through the route of of seeing if i could go into the marines and they still had the door open even though these instances had happened they took a very pragmatic view and said well 
will still take you. Not being funny, but characteristic-wise, you've been through the worst. Like, yeah, you're I've, unbreakable. I've seen a lot. Yeah, yeah. You're and, unbreakable, and that's the sort of mentality that I imagine those guys need to have in those situations. And, and so I went through a huge appeal process with the military to say, you're advocating for people with PTSD to speak out, and then you're... Like, don't get me wrong, like, if I had PTSD, I understand them not letting me in. It's case-by-case case scenario at this point, though. Precisely. And that's what I was trying to get in on. And I thought I thought to myself, how ridiculous is this that like effectively when you join the army you're on like 18 grand a year so i'm like fighting these people to let me in so that i can start earning less than a postman gets <laughs> um but yeah so went through this whole appeal process and got rejected and rejected and the last port of call was that i paid a oxford graduate psychologist who was a specialist in military uh, personnel uh, i went and saw them and got them to do a deep honest dive report on me yeah i had to pay about 800 quid to to get this thing done wow they recommended me unequivocally for for military service yeah send it off to uh it escalated to a colonel level within the army at the time yeah uh and they rejected it and rejected so, it even yeah. though they went yeah, you even, need to go down this road. Yeah, even though I went to the person they recommended, it was rejected. Wow. Um, so I was like, <sighs> so the door is and always has still been open with the Royal Marines. Yeah. But in order to do, basically the main pull with the army was that there's so many bases around Salisbury that I could still be local to Lou. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I decided that I either had to go fully into the Royal Marines yeah. or to kill the dream. Yeah. And that was a really shit stage in my life because I'd always always thought that I was going to go in the army. That was your dream. Yeah, that was always what I wanted to do. Um, and then it was kind of in, in front of me that the army's not a possibility. A big realisation. You're like, yeah. well, now what? <laughs> and, and ironically, I can't swim. So uh, joining the Marines is a little bit of a... Probably a not the best idea. One. So... <laughs> Um, anyway, decided that and took a lot of advice from people, a lot of advice. And they said, it's a career. You you could choose any other career, but this person might be the one. Yeah. And until you, they said, if you follow your heart with Lou and it doesn't work out, nothing's stopping you going to the Marine Zone, is it? And I was like, that's a fair point. Like, it's a very and, and, good perspective. To, yeah, I was, yeah. I was, what, 21 when I moved here? So I was like, even if things didn't work out in five years time i'd still be 26 yeah and still young be able to do something so yeah and so, like things are so good with lou at this point that you're like this is worth me yeah staying. it's worth it's worth pursuing and then like me and lou have always been very open-minded and very honest with each other about stuff again it goes down to that communication even throughout these these whole stages as you communicate efficiently to try and get the best solution for everybody in the situation. And even if it meant you splitting at one point, like in that situation for the both of you, that was the best for you. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and it, it, it worked out a treat. Like the first year or so that I was here, was really tough. Salisbury's a really clicky place, man. They call it Smallsbury for a reason, yeah, don't they? It's so clicky. Like, yeah, I came from Bristol, where like it's such an inclusive place. It is probably the most inclusive place that I've ever seen in my life. Like, you can be pretty much anything you want to be. It's so <laughs> like LGBTQ plus. It's so like 
it fuels people to be different it enables them to be different it's it's a honestly it's probably one of my favorite places because it's so open to the idea of people being different which again like is really weird (laughs) considering all i wanted to be was the gray man um and yeah so completely different when i moved here everything's a click everything's like who you know what you know if something happens everyone, everyone finds out about yeah, yeah like you could walk into bristol city center and literally walk around for five hours and not see one person that you know whereas you literally go to the shop i can't even walk down fishing street mate without <laughs> seeing someone again stopped makes you sound like a local celebrity so yeah came uh came here didn't like it at all to us really really tough it's a big adjustment yeah and uh, like Lou's family were amazing so like Lou's dad managed to get me a job working for one of his mates on a building site and uh yeah it was it was all right um I sort of ticked along doing that and then I thought oh do you know what I saw it like, I'll just go back to posting like I, I know like the back of my hand is doddle let's <laughs> <laughs> see how many people kick off about yeah, that a few nibbles um, about that um and uh so I just went went back to it and uh met people a little bit through through that um uh, yeah it was, it was, it was all right it's it, to be fair it didn't really get feel at home i'd say until just before covid happened yeah um where i started having a proper like friendship group here was able to sort of go out and do stuff um go to the gym started fighting around here which yeah. really helped so i joined the gym in Froome, so i made a sort of group up there where i used to go sparring and fighting and travel around there sort of gyms with them and then you meet other people so this is what i mean boxing is a fantastic way to socialize as well as actually get fit and uh, progress yourself um things started to click into place basically over time yeah like, even yeah. though it was tough when you first moved there it was worth sticking out for yeah man and like we we get then to sort of what happened with covid and covid was like so many people was a really tough time more so for the fact that it was a time when me and lou were probably at our worst communicating wise and we, we've always been exceptional like genuinely exceptional communicating with each other and then you're locked in 24 7 <laughs> button heads but, but but the thing was mate it was like uh I, I, you weren't around then like in terms of uh, uh, at raw mail but they were so in need of people working overtime so yeah. I, was, I was working sort of like 60 70 hour weeks consistently through the two years of covid yeah um but Lou was at home homeschooling and it's <laughs> a big pressure and burden I oh, suppose mate she, like how she did it I've got no idea yeah like but I'd come home like physically exhausted yeah <laughs> and there was one time mate there was one time where I walked through the door Evie was screaming at Lou and Lou was screaming back and I remember walking through the front door and just turning back around and going back out I was like I'll take my chances out there I'll go do some more over time yeah um, and I just went for a walk around the block came back when once it sort of settled down a little bit and was like what the hell was that about but um, yeah just made me chuckle straight in straight out um, <laughs> it's but, like that um, that Simpsons thing with the uh the granddad where he walks in puts his hat down and then walks back out (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. um so 
yeah, it, it was a tough time, but like there are people in much, much, much worse situations than us. Like people losing, like one of my friends lost his dad. Um, Likewise, yeah, yeah. Um, so you really you count your blessings oh, as, yeah. as much as it was tough and the social sort of isolation and you know not being able to go and do your hobbies. And, but when really you put it in big perspective, people lost loved ones and nothing can compare to that. Yeah, man. Like it's 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 really it was a really tough time for for everyone like and it's it's even now it's a bit strange to think about that we lived through something like that like it, it's, 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 it's something out of a movie almost yeah. it doesn't feel real that we actually went through that it it's i always really struggle with the the notion that people were like referred to it as this was the equivalent of going through like a world war or whatever because it's just bollocks. No. <laughs> there's nothing like that at all not at all but it's it's something that will have an effect for a very long time. Like the economic effect of COVID will be around probably not, for our lifetime. Not only that, but like the, the social aspect as well and like yeah. people's physical health as well. Like, like that can have an effect. Big time. You think around like hospitals and stuff now. Like we were in hospital the other day and like there's still people that are really scared, man. Like we're, we're talking what? A year to eighteen months after anything has actually happened with, yeah. with it, and pe- people are petrified. So, like, there was I saw a news alert come out that some version of swine flu's back out, and like you, you think to yourself, how how many people is that going to scare? Like, we've been through something where it they, was literally like stay indoors, don't they've go shut out. a country. Well, they've shut the world down. Yeah. Because of a, like, fl- of a flu. Yeah, like in the greatest respect. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm massively playing it down but it's like a horrendous cold that's that that's what it is yeah of course the, like we're not like trying to say like COVID wasn't a thing it's just like a when you put it in perspective like it's it, a flu it, swine flu and this but, but COVID like, flu like they, like they were saying when it was all happening for 90 percent of people it was just like a cold yeah but the problem was was those people with underlying health conditions it affected them badly it would then lead to things like pneumonia lead to things that were genuinely lethal yeah, that, that, that would, were killing people yeah, yeah. that were putting them on life support and stuff yeah um so really when you look at the picture of us being like isolated at home and you know yeah so we so really like, count our blessings so this, this is what i mean like when people like refer to it as like the equivalent of a world war we weren't getting shot at. We were told to sit at home <laughs> a and lot watch of people TV. At home getting paid yeah, to watch like, Netflix. <laughs> yeah, it's just like I don't, I don't understand. Like I appreciate that there's like a mental health aspect to it, but like the the government got slated for the way they dealt with it. Don't get me wrong. Like you've got all that stuff. This is a whole other conversation. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've got you've got all that stuff about them breaking their own rules and Matt Hancock getting off with his secretary and all that stuff, but like. I I massively challenge anyone that if they were in that situation, yes, okay, there was there was problems, but nobody, nobody would have done it perfectly. No. Nobody. And like, yes, it could have been done a lot better. But like It's a lose lose situation yeah, at this point. You, you, you never know, like there's all that stuff about like David Cameron uh like setting the brexit campaign and then bypassing brexit itself and um the whole of covid and now that covid's com- completely gone if you like he's now back in the picture as the yeah. home secretary or foreign secretary whatever he is um which just makes you laugh anyway so 
I could bet you've lost the tangent on that. Where, um, where were Evie we? and Lou's homeschooling. Um, big, <laughs> I haven't big got shout David Cameron from that. <laughs> big shouting match. You walked in, walked straight back out. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that that was COVID. And then um, where were we after that? Oh yeah, so uh, after COVID, because I, I was due to have my third fight when... Uh, we went into the first lockdown. Yeah. Uh, so literally, we went into. I could tell you the date. We went into lockdown on the fourteenth of March. Yeah. Uh, and I was due to fight on the twenty first. So obviously got locked down. So so didn't no chance. Um, went through all of that COVID stuff and decided I was going to fight in the October. Yeah. Um, I, I went and fought over in Swindon against a guy called Jay Reedy, who is now a really really good friend of mine. Uh, and I got beat quite quite badly by him. Um, and then two weeks after that, I proposed to Lou. Oh, wow. Yeah, man. Um, it, and it's bad to think that you, like, I didn't even know you at that no. point. What did she say just for the viewers? <laughs> <laughs> she did say yes. Yay, congrats. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, she said yes. Uh, we got married a year later. Um and yeah, it, like the 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 wedding day, like we touched on this with you, man. Like I look back at stuff now, and like our wedding was quite heavy on the fact that my mum weren't there. Yeah. Um, and some people might have found that a little bit sort of like depressing and a bit over the top, but Lou knows how. I feel because Lou always says like she's gutted that she didn't get to meet her. Yeah. Like it's it's really really strange, man. And like Evie used to get really upset about the fact that she didn't get to see Nola Carroll. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, so it was, it was it was a tough one. But honestly, mate, our, our wedding was quality. It was so good. It was uh, nice that everyone respected that your mum wasn't yeah. there and they made a, a big deal out of it. Yeah, man. Rightly, rightfully so. Yeah, and it was um, it was a just... Bit, a bit of sweet in some sense. Yeah. Because I imagine that couldn't have been easy. I know it's a like big wedding day and best day of your life, but not to have your mum there who was a big part in your yeah. life and someone that you loved and adored so the, the like just to sort of <laughs> add to it uh so my nan uh who i absolutely like idolized uh she wasn't able to come to the, the wedding because uh she had fallen really really ill and had to be admitted to hospital um and then, <laughs> and then on top of that uh my uncle caught COVID. Uh, so my uncle on my mum's side. So my mum's side, there's only my nan and my uncle left. Uh, so n- not only was my mum not there, but no like representative yeah. of my mum's side of the family No one was that there. you could relate to and your mum. So yeah. it was just literally you in yeah. that sense. Uh, so well, it was me and my brother. But oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, so it was it was, it was was a tough pill to swallow. The fact that, especially like my nan wasn't there. Yeah. But like... Like you said earlier, you adored your nan, and that yeah. was the closest thing you had to your mum in some sense. Absolutely, and, and it, like my nan made it explicitly clear, bless her heart, that she was like, "It's not that like I don't condone like you marrying Lou. It's very much the case that like I wouldn't be able to make it there and make it back." Yeah, understandably. No, and to be fair, mate, she at the time she was 86, 87. Like she, yeah, and she wasn't, she wasn't well at all. She was bedbound, bless her. So yeah, there, yeah. there wasn't any way she was going to make it. But it, it was, it was, it was just tough. A bit, but yeah, it's just yeah. a bit rubbish. But um, 
we went and saw her a couple of days after the wedding when she was in hospital. I bet she was made up to see you both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she was lying in bed like crying, bless her. What a nice she was, touch. She was lovely, man. Um, but yeah, so uh, got married. Um, most amazing. <laughs> There's a brilliant picture. If uh, if anyone does want to follow me on Instagram at any point, there's a fantastic picture about sort of like halfway down of my page where Lou uh, actually slept on our wedding night on the bathroom floor because <laughs> uh, she passed out on the bathroom floor. She's gonna love you for mentioning uh, yeah, that. Too, right. Um, and uh, I did the husbandly duty of uh, putting a pillow under her head so that she didn't get a crook neck. <laughs> Uh, and then went and slept very peacefully in uh, our marital bed completely on my own. Um, it's not even like take her back to bed. Just, no, here's a pillow. You'll be fine. Uh, exactly. See you in the morning. Uh, but she, like, I want, I want to sort of do the wishy-washy bit. She was genuinely, absolutely stunning on our wedding day. Um, like, yeah, I, I can't even describe it. Like, I burst into tears when she walked down the aisle. Uh, my best man Jack, he burst into tears when she walked down the aisle as well. Um, yeah, no, she she's amazing and literally, yeah, couldn't think of anyone better suited to me, better communicator with me, um, and the person that I wanted to start a family with. How important is it to have that person in your life? How important is Lou to you? Can I be? totally open go for it you know we were talking about the whole like everything happens for a reason yeah I wholeheartedly believe that my mum died so that I could find Lou wow that is like jeez and I've, I've and you're the first person I've ever said that to wow like I don't she doesn't it's almost even, got me tearing she, up at she, some point she, she doesn't even know that like so she's going to listen to this she's going to hear that for the first time for wow. the first time so I wholeheartedly believe that my mum died selfless like I, I know she didn't choose to do it but like she died so that her son would find happiness with someone because i was such a that's literally like making me shake right now i I was such a troubled kid like i really wasn't an easy kid mate like i've glossed over the fact that like i had planned out my own suicide when i was 13 years old like i glossed over that and i should give that some light because icon did really help with that as well but like there was a lot of shit that my mom had to part with and I always like say to Lou that like, I feel really guilty that my mum got all the shit and yeah. <laughs> and Lou got all the good stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I that's my wholehearted belief, and I I, I find a lot of comfort in that. Um, and it and, gives me comfort as well to know yeah, this man. as well, losing my mum which, to hopefully have that down the line. <laughs> which which is where it comes into that whole piece of. I don't think you're there yet. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay. Because uh, so, that was interesting to hear that in the first episode of you to say that. Because yeah. I was like, oh, I thought I'm getting somewhere. It's, it's it's that whole thing. Like, it doesn't even necessarily mean that you meet your person, as me and Lou would refer to yeah. it. It might be that you find your your career. The calling. Yeah. As such, yeah, yeah. You find the thing that makes you. Um, and that's what I found in her. And, like, again, saying wishy washy, like, she is like <laughs> everything like genuinely everything i can see the passion in your she, eyes of you saying like that. i she she 
did uh, an Iron Man, which for anyone who doesn't know is, um, oh shit, I'm going to get the first one wrong, what is it? 3.8k swim, followed by 180k bike, followed by a marathon. And she did that. And she, <laughs> I never let her live it down because of COVID. It's basically, she did two years worth of training. It was only meant to be a year, but because of COVID, the event got cancelled, so it had to be put on to the following year. And those two years were a, a long couple of years yeah, for yeah. me and her. Like she, like we were training a lot, and um, she did it. And I've, I've genuinely, mate, never been so proud of anyone in my entire life. So, bear in mind, Iron Man is spectated by like tens of thousands of people. Right at the finish line, I screamed so loudly that the MC stopped everyone came over to me with the microphone and said well i know the name of the person that you're supporting but where is she <laughs> and there's a video of me pointing and going she's there she's there <laughs> and she came running around what a memory that you never forget yeah man and i man- and uh, i like i've got a video of her crossing the finish line and as she crossed the finish line i like this video of me I don't talk at all. And the and the whole point of it was, is in my head, I was like, don't cheer, don't cheer, let her, like, and the beauty of it is there's an iconic thing for anyone who does an Iron Man, which is as you cross the finish line, they say, Louise, you are an Iron Man. That's so cool. Right. <laughs> and I was thinking to myself, like, she's trained for two years for that moment. To hear that. Right. And if I'm going, go on, Louise. <laughs> and she got here that one moment i was like she'll fucking kill me yeah. so i was like i'll just shut up let let her have that moment yeah. and, and be done and there's a there's a beautiful picture of just before she gets in the water um of me looking at her and shit there's sheer dread and panic on her face <laughs> and there's just me beaming so like proud of her well, bless. um so yeah it uh, like it gives me real comfort to know that that is where things have led me. There's, we'll come on to it in a sec, because I know we're sort of running out of time, but the the next part is where I've potentially challenged that theory of her being the reason that I'm like in this place. Do you want to touch on this next bit? Because you said about family and you had you, Lou, Evie. Let's talk about this next part because I can see the grin on your yeah, face. You want to so, get talking about it? Uh, me, me and Lou have got a uh, son who's literally just turned four months the other day. Uh, his name's Alfred. Uh, what he, a little smiler he is, by the way. He's lovely, man. He's wicked. Um, and people always like say, "Oh, Alfred, that's quite a traditional name." Um, and basically, me and Lou loved the names Alfie and Freddie and couldn't decide, so we called him Alfred instead. Perfect little mix. Yeah. Um, and pregnancy was amazing, man. Like, so, so good. And again, just fueled the fire on the idea that, like, this is what was meant to be. Yeah. Um, amazing. Um, and we got to the point where, like, we were now planning what was going gonna sort of like happen so you get your birth plan together and everything 
Um, get your go bag at the ready. Yeah, go bag at the ready. Lou tells me what she does want, doesn't want. Like you plan if, worst case scenario yeah, to some it's, degree. <laughs> it's this whole thing, mate. That like, uh, like I know you want a family, so like you'll get to this point where the woman will say, "I don't want an epidural," and no, no point do I want an epidural. <laughs> and halfway through labour, they go, "I don't give a fuck. Give me the epidural." <laughs> um, and. Uh, like yeah so go through all your do's and don'ts what they want what they don't want and a perfect genuinely a perfect pregnancy went yeah. really really well like lou um lou was felt really nauseous in the first few weeks but apart from that brilliant she had a really like what they referred to as a neat bump so it wasn't like skew whiff it wasn't doing yeah, anything yeah. to her she had a bit of a bad back but ultimately you're carrying a weight on the front understandably so yeah so she had a little strap that went around her back and she was fine um and then yeah so he was he <laughs> the only thing was he was six days late yeah and anyone who hits their due date and then waits those few days those those few days go the slowest days of your life <laughs> and like i'm talking from the bloke's perspective yeah like that's it, not even coming from the woman that's yeah been the, carrying. The, wo- the woman that's been carrying him must be absolutely done in and just ready to go yeah, yeah. um but anyway like so we uh we were told that we they changed the sort of idea of it that it used to be that you got induced at 40 weeks and 10 days yeah um and then or whatever it was that was 41 and three that would be uh but they've changed it now that they'll induce you at 41 weeks okay so we got to typical fashion 40 weeks and six days (laughs) and the um uh he started coming she went into active labor and just just to put it out there like (laughs) so me and lou got married at the bridge pub in uh, the bridge in pub over in the woodfords yeah uh she went into labor in the bridge in pub uh, typical whilst, whilst whilst having a a um a fish and chips <laughs> um anyway so went to the hospital all fine and dandy but they said that he was a meconium birth which basically means that he's done a poo before he comes out yeah um so, uh, like it's kind of rare but yeah. like, i think it was a statistic of like one in five so yeah. it's not it's, it, it's not, sort of it's, it's not really rare but no, yeah. it's, it's, it's just it like, happens it happens yeah. yeah like there's there's no immediate cause for concern no so like the only thing that's different is with the meconium birth when they realized that there was meconium in our waters it basically means it's just a bit murky yeah that uh they're gonna keep her in there's no point sending her own because meconium births can turn quite quickly into being something a bit nasty yeah which yeah which which we lead on to um we hadn't really considered that as a possibility but uh alfred was born in a really quick labor so lou was actually only in labor for well, sorry, only an active labour for 45 minutes. Which, which is, is not a long rapid, time. mate. Like, <laughs> people were in active labour for hours. Like, Lou fired him out. Um, <laughs> but basically, he went into shock as he was born because of the speed of the labour. Right. Um, and because of the meconium in the waters, basically, he breathed in all the liquid. Right. Uh, and as he was born we were told, oh, it's like, babies are blue, don't worry about it. He's like, it just is what it is. Yeah, so when he came out, when he came out blue, I didn't really think anything of it. Yeah. But as he came out, the umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck. So they were like, 
they were like, cord round neck, cord round neck. And so I, obviously I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. And then the midwife put her fingers underneath and said, cord loose, cord loose. So basically what had happened was as he'd come out, it had sort of gone over his neck, yeah. but hadn't pulled on his neck at all. Right, so there was okay. nothing wrong there. So she literally just pulled it straight over his head and was like, he's absolutely fine. Yeah, job done. Yeah, he's just blue. Yeah. Right? Uh, which wasn't the case, but the midwife wasn't to know that because yeah. her immediate concern was my son was being strangled, yeah. which obviously is anyone's first concern. <laughs> um, she cleared that and said he's fine, he's just blue. Anyway, so me, me and Lou had probably about 30 seconds with him yeah. before a senior midwife came in, looked at him and semi-discreetly hit the panic button. Yeah took him out of Lou's arms which at that point I suppose you're like we were like well she was brilliant because she was kind of like um oh I just need to just need to take him we just need to do do a few bits with him yeah and Lou and and to be fair because it was a meconium birth you know sometimes that they've just got to check check the baby over um so we didn't really think much of it until literally as she took him away, like took took him away from Lou, she looked me dead in the eye and said, Dad, you've got to come with me now. And I was like, right, okay. And as she turned around with Alfred, Alfred went completely limp and literally just his arms flailed by his side, his neck rolled back uh, and his chest wasn't moving. Yeah. And she ran with me across the hallway because we were in the delivery room opposite recess. Yeah. Um, and basically, he was—he had to be resuscitated. He had swallowed a copious amount of uh, meconium, which, if you don't know what like meconium looks like, basically where it's all murky, once it has oxygen added to it, it solidifies. Yeah. So effectively, this stuff was solidifying in his windpipe. Yeah. So he was suffocating him from the inside. Yeah. Um, and they do ratings on on the baby's responses. Yeah. Uh, and they rate it out of ten, and he scored four. Right. Um, okay. And the only reason he didn't score lower than that is because he had been responsive at birth. Yeah. Uh, if he hadn't been responsive at birth, there was the potential that it would have been a stillbirth. Effectively. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what's sort of running through your head at this point? So, so oh. as as we're running across the room, like across the hallway, the the nurse, uh, so the midwife carrying him, are like I cannot say how amazing they've been up at um, the delivery centre. There, they're incredible. Anyway, we ran across the hall, and as we're going, she's calling, and I, I still to this day can't remember what the call is. It's either a number or or a colour. I can't remember. But effectively, she was calling for the equivalent of what a cardiac arrest is. Yeah. Um, and literally, after she'd said code, whatever it is, she then turned to me and said, I need permission to resuscitate. Wow. And at the moment, like this moment, I saw him go limp, but I didn't yeah. know what that meant. Yeah, yeah. And then that hit home. You were like, fuck, this. My, my son's not breathing, effectively. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I said... I do I was like do you have, you, you, I was yeah. literally like you have my permission to do whatever you think is right yeah and that is all I need to give yeah, you yeah. just do it yeah um and so they hooked him up to a machine and this machine was going absolutely mental like all the alarms going off everything yeah um and we got these really like start so six consultants had to come in the room and work on him and all of them looked really 
bleak at each yeah, other. Distraught almost. Yeah, like just basically looked at each other like shit, this isn't good. Yeah. Um and I was kind of stood at the doorway of the room and the and the consultants, bless them, were like, Oh dad, come in, come in. And I yeah. was like, I'm not getting in the way. I was no. like, I'm literally standing as far away as possible where I can still see what's happening. Yeah, without getting in the way. Yeah. So I was like do their work. I was literally like, I don't I was like, don't talk to me, just do what you need to do. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, and I was just stood there with my hands on my head watching the work of my son, all these monitors saying that he wasn't alive. Um, so I had gone from literally watching him being born, the happiest moment of my life, to literally the scariest. Yeah, that's quite a adrenaline rush. Yeah, man, it was it was tough. Because this is, oh, you had Evie prior with Lou and her being your stepdaughter. This is your moment to have your yeah. family in such a, such a huge moment for you. Yeah, and uh, it like and, and we came back on that and said that like we felt like we were robbed a little bit of of that moment, yeah. which which is a horrible thing to say because ultimately like he's fine now and yeah. happy and healthy, but like, um, yeah. So it was it was it was a tough one, and basically we were instructed because he had to then go to NICU, yeah. And we were instructed by so me and Lou's mum were instructed by the nurses at NICU to sort of not mention anything to Lou because she'd had such quick birth because potentially Lou was in shock from the birth. Yeah, it's the last thing she needs. Yeah, so yeah. she doesn't need to hear it. Um, <laughs> bless him. We, uh, because of the nature of what happened to him, he had to be on observations for how many hours after. Yeah. And one of the midwives came in and uh, into mine and Lou's room and said, oh, uh, I'm just checking on him. Uh, and checked him and said oh he's all he's doing fine isn't he and it was so lovely and then she said um oh but he gave you quite a scare didn't he at the beginning and uh and lou was like oh yeah he was he was a meconium birth but apart from that yeah and she was like and said blessed his midwife was like no no no, i was talking about the resuscitation and lou's face just dropped and she looked at me because because obviously like the the natural thought process is that she either would have seen it or would have known about it. Yeah, yeah. So she's not to know at this point. No, and like ultimately, those medical records are effectively as much loose as they are Alfred's at this point yeah. because it's her child that she's just given birth to. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> Lou then burst into tears, bless her, um, realizing what had happened. Uh, but he was all all good. Uh, their biggest concern when that sort of thing happens is that. Uh, it goes into the lungs and could cause pneumonia, but it didn't, so we were all good. Um, and we were told that it's like a one in 4,000 chance that that happens, what happened to him. Meconium births obviously are a lot more common. The chances of you swallowing meconium and having a defect from it is slightly less common. Yeah. And then to have your breathing completely stop is very uncommon, which is where the one in 4,000 comes. Yeah. Anyway, so... Take him home. You think that that was a, enough to that, that sort, was of, sort of put someone Problem off. sorted. And then you have uh, any sort of parent knows that you have a five-day heel break test. And I say any parent knows, but a lot of you probably would have forgotten that that thing even exists because <laughs> it's literally a case of they prick your heel and you kind of forget about it because they say, oh, it's just a check for this really rare disease, this really rare disease, and this really rare disease. And so they're like... No one ever gets it, uh, but Alfred did. <laughs> um, What's the chances? So Alfred was diagnosed with something called PKU, uh, which coincidentally is actually 
the reason that those heel prick tests are done is because PKU was found. And effectively, it means that he's unable to process protein in his body. Um, so a lot of the... So we spoke on the last podcast about the fact that uh, we're going to be doing these events, uh, the 50 mile, 100 miler, and we're going to be doing for respective charities. So ADS is doing Stars Appeal, uh, which... I am also going to sort of advocate because Stars Appeal fuels those people that saved Alfred's life um, when he was basically being resuscitated. Staff up there are just incredible. Incredible, man. Incredible. Unbelievable. This is what I sort of, they describe them as the real life superheroes because they literally are. Yeah. So uh, that we'll be doing it for them. Uh, Also the Icon Charity, which is the charity that I'm a trustee of now um, due to everything that they did to, to help me. And the other one is the PKU charity uh, in, in aid of what Alfred's going to be going through because it's PKU's nasty, man. Like uh, I sort of glossed over it then, but effectively he can't have protein. And if he was to have certain levels of protein, he could be permanently brain damaged. Um, and that's the bit that when you Google it, when no one knows what it is and you get the call to say he's tested positive PKU, they tell you, do not Google it. Because it sounds horrendous. Yeah, but yeah. obviously, first thing I did was Google it. And, and basically, <laughs> it's so, like, don't click the red button. It's like, well, what am I going to do now? Yeah. Click that red button. And Google it. And uh, like, also, we spoke in the last one as well about the fact that I catastrophize stuff. So when I read it, I was like, this is, uh, but, I'm, but I'm very aware that I catastrophize. So I was like, okay, maybe I'm just being a bit over the top. Like he's, he's going to be all right. Yeah. And Lou's Lou's mum, who's uh, the deputy head nursing up at Salisbury District Hospital, um, she looked at it and her face dropped. And that's when you knew you were like, and ah, I was like, fuck. Yeah. Okay. Like what I'm reading is like true. Yeah. Um. And the the, the honesty part of it is that Lou's mum hadn't actually ever heard of it but from her knowledge of of the body and, and everything she was able to sort of determine what it meant the sort of severity and extremity yeah, of this sort of yeah so condition so we we've got to be really really careful and we're still yet to really find out as to how badly he's got it um it's looking like he's on the lower end of it which is obviously great but we we're going to find out especially over the next sort of six months to a year how badly he, he's got it so That'll be part of my journey as well. It, like we were talking about everything happening for a reason. Yeah. I don't know whether or not because he's got two parents that love him to the moon and back and like have got a wealth of experience to give him whether or not this is his version of adversity that he's going to have to overcome this which could, makes him a stronger person. This could you know be his I mean? journey. This could be yeah. his path. You just, you just don't know. Yeah, man. But anything's possible. Yeah. and, and Especially the, when you've got parents like yourself and Lou. <laughs> Thank you, man. Um, so yeah, we'll 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 see where that leads him. But that was quite a tough pill to swallow. How is it being a dad for? I know it's only been four months now, but what's it been like? Best thing in the world, mate. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, like when you've had a really crap day and you come home. Baby might be screaming, mate. But when you eventually get a smile out of it, it's, it's yeah. like it's like um, <laughs> Lou always says because he doesn't sleep well at all. Like Lou's proper going through the rigour at the moment, yeah. bless her. <laughs> when, uh, when he's been screaming all night, and I mean like 
he when I say he doesn't sleep, I mean he sleeps like forty five minutes at a time and then he's up for forty five minutes. Like she basically gets a nap through the night. Like yeah. she's proper through it. He'll be like that, causing havoc. And then in the morning he'll just like go Chill and out. smile at her <laughs> and she'll just go, What a bastard. And that that is <laughs> just made up, up for it. Night. And that is just made up for it. But like, I can't you, hate you because yeah. that smile. <laughs> Um, so also to go on the fact of sort of like drawing it back to when I was talking about Chris, who is the person that massively helped me in my family, he, uh, uh, so I helped through the nomination of his M- MBE. Uh, he is also, uh, his name is within Alfred's name. So oh, wow. Alfred is... His full name is Alfred Christopher Sean Pyman. So I mean, you can't get any bigger of a yeah, so, gift than that. So, and obviously, when I told Chris that we were naming Alfred, we said to him, we we would call him Christopher, <laughs> but we didn't like Christopher, so he could go as a middle name. So, um, but what a gift to receive! Yeah, man. So he knows how much he means to, her. and and also to bring up the point, when me and Lou got married, uh, Chris was our celebrant, so he was the person that led the ceremony. Oh, really? Yeah. Is that um, anything this man can't do? Oh, mate, he's quality. Honestly, like when he, I, I will find a way to get him on it because he's <laughs> he's great. But yeah, um, yeah, Chris, Chris did all of that for us. Uh, I thought it was a perfect way to sort of thank him was to name my son after him. And then we got to the point where like Alfred is now sort of settled down. Now we, we haven't sort of touched on mine and my dad's relationship. Mine and my dad have, have always, it's, it's a difficult one because you know, when people say like, you don't get on with a parent, yeah. they, they envisage you like butting heads and yeah, basically yeah. trying to kill Shout each other. matches, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's never been like that. Me and, my, like, me and my dad have had a falling out, but we've never yeah. been, like, screaming at each yeah, other. Yeah, it was more of the fact, like, that sort of, like, big love, that massive love, that massive bond, that massive relationship was, like, was there as such. It's more of, yeah, that. Yeah, so it, it was it was more of a case. Like, my, my brother and my dad were really close growing up, and it was always me. Like, you know, you always gravitate towards sort of one parent more yeah. than the other, potentially. Like, it was always my brother and my dad and me and my mum. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it wasn't anything necessarily, like, bad blood between no, you and your dad. It was just no, like... It, we, just didn't, we just didn't have anything in common. Like, yeah. we both support Arsenal. Yeah. But other than that, it was kind of just, like... Yeah. small talk do you yeah. know what I mean but again um, you said you had that closer relationship with your mum and yeah, your dad with your brother yeah, which and, is understandable yeah and and so when but but to be fair where I was a little shit my, my brother um, was relied on quite a lot by my mum so they became really close when I was sort of in that limbo phase but that was also when my dad had moved to Bristol so it kind of correlated quite nicely that I almost had my brother and my mum yeah. there um anyway come back to the point so my, me and my dad have had a bit of a strained relationship nothing nothing bad but just never really got on saw right right perfectly pleasant to each other but yeah. just like yeah nothing nothing proper and then alfred was born and there like when i read about the fact that he could be permanently brain damaged like i spoke to my dad about it and like cuz he was coming down to meet alfred for the first time at that point and I was a mess, mate. I was just crying, like, profusely about the fact that... I understand it, because this is all you've ever wanted, really, and... 
such I've, a I've such a huge thing. He's potentially going to be disabled. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And, and like, don't get me wrong. There's absolutely nothing wrong with people being disabled. No, but like it's a it's a big burden. You want, yeah, and, you, and, and and like sorry, I say big burden. It's it, like I mean that in the the selfish aspect of like. You also want your kid to be the healthiest yeah. and happiest it can possibly be. Yeah, but again, the, the selfish part being that having a kid is hard enough as it is. Yeah. Let alone when there's a disability there and potentially that they're going to need caring for for the rest of their life. Yeah, which like, takes a lot to say that. So massive yeah, respect to you but, for saying that. But, but that's understandable at the same time. Yeah, but it's, it comes into that whole thing, doesn't it, when they have the test before the baby's born to find out if there's a, like... Uh, if they've got a serious condition yeah. to find out whether or not the pregnancy carries on. And yeah. they're like, oh, thank God that never happened with us. Yeah. Because that is a horrible decision to have to make yeah, either yeah. way. But yeah, anyway, back to, the, back to the original point. So dad came down and met him uh, and basically cried with me, bless him. And I bet like, that was such a nice yeah, moment. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was quite a moment. And, and to be honest with you, from that moment onwards... I'd say mine and my dad's relationship is the best it has ever been. Even when I was a child, like, I'd say now is the best moment that mine and my dad's relationship's ever been. What a wholesome moment. So so this then feeds back into the whole point of, as horrible as it sounds, is is that part of the reason as to why Alfred's gone through that? We just don't know. This and is this he, is this is why we sort of cover this everything happens for a reason, because we just don't know the possibilities amazing or bad that could be coming up it's, it's such a double-edged sword because because ultimately what i'm kind of saying in that is that i'm the center of the universe because effectively <laughs> like this thing has happened to my son so that something else happens to me yeah but my hope is alfred's got this condition and that he's gone through what he's gone through so that he can prove people wrong yeah and that he can push past boundaries adversity and, yeah, and, yeah. Um, you want him to go and accomplish amazing things yeah. when people are like, ah, oh, because of this condition, you can't do X, Y, and Absolutely. Z. And it's actually going, no, I can. Watch me go do it. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. And that's what I really hope. And Well, the utmost hope is that it doesn't hold him back. Yeah. that That's the, the big thing. And you, want, you want to give him every opportunity to go and do whatever he wants to go do. Yeah. Yeah, man. And uh, that kind of brings us to the present day. But... Yeah, so he is, as you say, happy as Zari. He is so happy and smiley. Yeah, man. like you've brought him round here, and yeah, the kid is the happiest kid going. <laughs> He's um, yeah, I wish he'd just bloody sleep though. <laughs> I, I just feel so bad for Lou. Like she's definitely taking the mantle on of of sort of like looking after him, um, in terms of like overnight and stuff. We we try and sort of co-parent it as much as possible but i'd be lying to say that like i get up with them in the night because because I, I don't she does she does all of it bless her um she basically the, the kind of agreement we've got and it's very much in my favor over hers bless her that she has him overnight and through the day yeah. and then as soon as i get home from work that's handover baby time yeah doing. yeah so she can get some proper respite. Yeah, yeah. For the night shifts, as you call it. Yeah, and and like whenever I'm not working in the mornings, I'll get up early with him and I'll have him in the morning so that she can have a few hours sleep. But if there's, if there's any uh, new dads out there or new parents, feel free to hit me up on Instagram or whatever because it's not an easy gig. And my 
wonderful wife has found some pretty amazing people through uh, not not just like the PKU groups, but also through just general like baby groups. So um, yeah, it's always good to surround yourself with like-minded and great people that are going through similar situations. Absolutely, as as it's like the most amazing thing that can happen to you it's also the scariest and the most probably i'd say the most stressful thing that can happen another to you. human being is in your responsibility you. yeah yeah because yeah. they actually uh, can't do anything for themselves at this point so don't suffer in silence like you've heard mine and adam's stories now so you understand where where we come from in that aspect so if you have anything similar to that please reach out or even if it's not similar to that but you think that you may sort of gain some i don't know perspective or that you want to talk about it or whatever both me and adam are more than open to dropping us a message and and sort of having a chat about whatever it is you're going through we want to make this podcast and the instagram page that we currently got we want to make this a safe place that people can come to for support we want to make everyone that listens to this podcast feel like they're cared for and they're supported and we're willing to take the time to help everyone out within our capacity, obviously. However, we do want to make this a safe place and we do want to make a positive difference. And when we say that, we are going to prove that. And, and ultimately, like that's what Adam created this podcast for, was for that ability to help people. That is what this is here for. That's why me and Adam have been so honest with our stories and our perspectives because we want you to do the same. And the best way to get you guys to do that is to do it from our side as well. If you hear our stories and know what we've been through, then you can hopefully have some hope and be willing to share that. Maybe not just like with us, as long as it's with somebody. We want to help people as much as possible and try and create a happier world. It's that whole bit as well. Like Adam was saying, it was strange to hear me say that I didn't think he was quite at that stage of complete... uh, I'm trying to think what the word is, like progression, if you like, on from what happened to his mum. But I also said to him about that moment where you feel genuinely like (sighs) you understand why that happened and that is a big moment and I'm really excited to see that moment happen for him and it probably gives him a little bit of comfort I don't want to talk over top of you mate but like from someone who's a few more years down the line from a similar experience hearing that there is that light is probably quite nice it's it's reassuring massively and like you speak about the whole this happened my mum so that I can meet my life partner that's had such a massive impact on you I mean that might not be my sort of thing that's going to happen however to just know that something incredible can come from the back of that is so reassuring to be that okay yes this shit thing happened however there could potentially be something even better down the line life is what you make it mate perspective is everything